Hello everybody and welcome to episode 4 of the Synopsis Podcast. We are going to be talking about Fight for the Fallen, the most recent AEW wrestling event. So sit back, relax, get yourself a drink. We're going to be talking for a little bit about this event and things that happened in it. Right here on the Synopsis. Alright guys, so full disclaimer before we get started with the podcast is that I did not watch the opening buy-in event from AEW. I specifically only watched the Fight for the Fallen card as a whole. So with the whole buy-in thing, I know Sonny Kiss and Peter Avalon did the whole entire thing. And as much as I like the Sonny Kiss character and think it can go very far, I did not watch the pre-show like I said. I also didn't really pay attention to the Rio and Britt Baker against Shoko Nakajima and Bay Priestley. Sorry, Bay Priestley. I enjoy Dr. Britt Baker. I think she has a lot of potential and she's going to be a big star in the AEW ranks. But putting her on the pre-show definitely did some damage to her character. But with that being said, we are going to open up on the fight for the Fallen main card. Starting off with Joey Janela, Darby Allin and Jimmy Havoc. Going up against the chairman, as his new nickname is now, Sean Spears, MJF, and Sammy Guevara. Now, if I say Guevara wrong, I do apologize. I'm not really sure how to say his name, but Sammy Guevara, I believe it is. Nice hot opener to begin Fight for the Fallen with these six men fighting each other. One of the biggest things I will say about this was the team of Joey Janela, Darby Allen, and Jimmy Havoc. The commentary team put over very nicely suggesting that they are all from the same type of cloth with the deathmatch uh, vibes that they give off all the time. Obviously Jimmy Havoc is the king of the deathmatches in the United Kingdom. Joey Janela, last uh, pay-per-view that AEW had, the fighter fest ended up with a cigarette stapled to his head. And if you know anything with GCW or the independent scenes, for example anything with Beyond or people like that, ICW, then you know Joey Janela has a lot of deathmatch experience and a lot of talent that really goes under the radar on his technicality wrestling because of his overall use of the deathmatch. Now with that being said, going against MJF, Sean Spears and Sammy Guevara, MJF and Spears were clearly having some words with each other as the match started. The feud I believe is going down the road is going to be MJF versus Sean Spears and using MJF's character of being Cody's best friend and Sean Spears obviously with that chair shot that really overshadowed that previous match between Darby, Allen and Cody. Now for those who did not watch Fighter Fest, Fighter Fest, not Fighter Fest, Fighter Fest, there was no R in it. But who, those who watched that would have seen the Cody versus Darby Allen match. It was a fantastic match. It went to that 20 minute time limit draw, which a lot of us did not expect. We expected Cody to go over clean against Darby Allen and just not really give him a chance. That was not the case. Cody doing the business, as they say in the industry, for Darby Allen, which was superb for Allen because that really put him over as a legitimate competitor. But with that, after the match, Sean Spears came out, smashed Cody over the head with that unprotected chair shot, the staples in the back of Cody's head, he ended up getting 10. Legitimate blood everywhere, legitimate gash, legitimate cut, wasn't gigging or blading or anything like that, he really got gigged open the hard way. So that really overshadowed the Allen and Cody match. But right here, using the MJF as Cody's best friend and the Sean Spears chair shot, to their advantage really, playing off of that, MJF is a protege of Cody. So that does really make sense when you think about it in canon that he is not happy with Sean Spears, he's very upset with that. But we're talking too much about that potential feud, we want to talk about this match. 
So, a lot of high-flying action there by Sammy Guevara. Uh, a lot of people don't un don't really understand how Joey Janela can do some high-flying stuff, but he can. JR, I think, said it best that Darby Allen is quicker than a hiccup. And I cannot disagree with JR there. Darby Allen is extremely fast, extremely crazy. He will do anything and everything to really make a name for himself, and I respect Darby Allen a lot for that. Jimmy Havoc had some nice little spots there with the Acid Rainmaker making a show in, which was always nice to see as the king of the UK death matches. Havoc has been known for doing that and for using that move over the years. Darby Allen always puts on a good display, I reckon. Like only two things I've seen him in AEW, both times he's really shown up for the event, really shown up for the party, and he's made it look easy. Joey Janela always puts on a good show, like I said, GCW stuff. If you've never seen Joey Janela before AEW, Go on YouTube right now, go to Joey Janela versus Orange Cassidy and just look at their stuff on ICW or GCW or anything like that. You'll see the funny side of Janela and the serious side of Janela. And mentioning Orange Cassidy, I will throw his name out there as well. Orange Cassidy is one of my favorite comedy wrestlers right now. He does a phenomenal job telling a story as the lazy guy who just doesn't want to be there but will go to town when he has to be. But that's getting off subject. You know, kind of like how we do here on the podcast, we just kind of ramble for a little bit and then go from there. Joey Janela, Darby Allen, Jimmy Havoc ended up losing to Spears, MJF, and Guevara. Sean Spears getting the cover for the three count after hitting the Death Valley driver on Darby Allen. That could also put up a potential feud between Allen and Spears. Maybe Allen fights Spears, MJF comes in, costs Spears the match, and in that way we have Spears versus. Um, MJF going in towards a TNT uh, the TNT TV deal, so that's always something we could look at. But as an opening match contest for this AEW event, very good showing for these the, very good showing for these six men, and I'm looking forward to seeing what they can do in the future. From that though, we're going to go on to the Brandy Rhodes versus Ali match, and this was a match that I wasn't too keen on. However. There were some pros to this, there were some cons to it, and we'll discuss those right now. Rhodes versus Ali. We opened up with a segment of Brandy Rhodes really selling the idea that this is her only chance to make a name for herself in AEW and that in the past she hasn't really done a lot to get herself out there, which I can honestly 100% agree with. Brandy Rhodes has only been in the industry for three years now as a wrestler. Obviously, before that, she was a ring announcer for the WWE. She's also married in real life to Cody, which always gives her a little edge into learning how to wrestle. Obviously, Cody coming from the in, from the very, very famous Rhodes family, aka the Reynolds family, Dusty and Dustin. But Brandy has this huge segment how she really just pushes the idea that she has everything to lose and nothing else in this match. Now. With that being said, as Brandy makes her way to the ring, and we think it's going to be a nice fair contest, we're introduced to Ali. And Ali really made her name in Impact Wrestling, teaming with Rosemary together, becoming the Demon Bunnies. And the way they wrote Ali out of Impact was pretty great. They had the whole Rosemary going into the death realm to try and get Ali's soul back. Ali ended up dying on camera, which is something that hasn't really been done in the wrestling industry. So if you haven't ever seen that, go ahead and look that up on YouTube or on Impact's YouTube channel. But having a character die on screen is something that is unheard of. The last time I can think of that happening was Muhammad Hassan versus The Undertaker. 
and the Undertaker powerbombed Hassan off of the stage and that was it, it killed off his character. Now that was obviously very controversial at the time because the Hassan character had his whole terrorist gimmick and just after the London bombings in 7-7, a day later the WWE aired a segment where he came out with Master Men and they carried The Undertaker off cross style which caused a huge uproar in the United Kingdom. But as we digress we'll go back to where we were talking about, Brandy vs Ali. Ali made her way to the ring, half face painted, the demon bunny gimmick still in full effect and as the match is about to start, the handshake is offered by Brandy, Ali accepts it, and the music hits. Out comes Awesome Kong. Awesome Kong is there to be at ringside for Brandy. Excalibur does a very good job in selling why Awesome Kong will be out there. Maybe she has a deal with Brandy, maybe she's been promised a, a shot at something at some point. But Awesome Kong and Brandy together is a very strange combination, and I will admit that. I'm not sure about it, but hey, it is what it is. Oh, if I haven't mentioned, by the way, Jim Ross, Excalibur, and Alex Marvez are the three-man commentary team for this. When these guys last did commentary together at Fighter Fest, a lot of people were talking bad about them, saying JR was a little bit rusty, that Alex uh, didn't really have good chemistry with Excalibur, and so on and so forth. I thought these three men did a fantastic job on commentary, a great job selling the action, and Jim Ross is really coming back into his own element that he obviously wasn't allowed to do in the WWE. He's expressing himself, expressing the rules, expressing how things should be, expressing how a lot of people don't obey by those rules in other companies or do the correct things like for example a rope break. If a person's leg is under the rope, everything is automatically cancelled. There is no 1 to 5 count, everything should just be cancelled, that's it. And JR sells that a lot throughout this show. But Brandy and Ali start off the match and I'm going to start off right off the bat and say that Brandy is still very very green. And this is no knock on Brandy and no knock on Ali. I can't do anything that these people can do in the ring. I never can, I never will, and I will not talk smack about them, about their determination and grit to get in the ring and do this. I will say, Brandy is green still, and Ali isn't at that level. And as much as I like Ali, and as much as I like her character, Ali isn't at that level to carry Brandy in a match. And it was able to be seen a couple of times in this match where Ali and Brandy were kind of offbeat, the chemistry wasn't really there, there was a couple of moves that they really could have gone a little bit smoother, I'm not going to say the words botched, I don't like that, because at the end of the day these people, these men, these women are doing something that we can't do, and if you're going to tell me, oh no, they went for a drop kick and they missed it, and that was a botch, I would love to see you get in the ring and try and do a drop kick, it's as simple as that, because I know I couldn't, be, couldn't do that, not in a million years could I do a drop kick, in the middle of that ring and land on it or try and even coordinate or choreograph a match like these girls and gal guys and gals can so kudos to those but Ali is not at that level to carry Brandy and it was shown in this match and Awesome Kong was just kind of there as a presence to start with towards the end of the match she did get a little bit involved to cost Ali the match now I will note, tell you this the spear that Brandy does is the weakest spear I have seen in any company probably ever and they named it the bionic spear because she had that surgery on her clavicle to repair it you cannot tell me I have a surgically repaired back myself and I can't hit anyone with my back and knock somebody out so there's no way I'm supposed to believe that 
a spear that was as bad as that looked and it came through the second rope and that's why it looked bad it wasn't like she had a run-up or anything she basically jumped through the second rope to hit Ali with a spear and then get the three count and that's why it looked bad it's not the name of the move that makes it bad it's the way it is shown now we can go back to spears like Edge and Goldberg and Roman Reigns they're all portrayed as this big run-up big shoulder tackle hit one two three but Brandy jumping through the second rope barely hitting Ali and that was another key point she barely grazed Ali but they sold it like she killed her with that bionicness and that just doesn't work in my book if you're gonna really go for it hit that spear have a run up or something or have her launch herself up the top rope for a spear that would sell it for a three count but overall this match was it was really talked about after the after is why this match I think was on the card and that was the introduction of Aja Kong and Aja Kong if you don't know a legend in Japanese women wrestling scene she came out Awesome Kong looked very confused, very shocked, and they faced off in the ring, and they stared down, and they did a little push shove, and then Awesome Kong was told by Brandy, hey, not now, save it, we'll do it another time, she ended up leaving the ring. The biggest issue I have with this, unfortunately, is Asha Kong did not look like she wanted to be there. Asha Kong came out, she looked like she just woken up, or she was still hungry, I don't know. She may have been hangry for all I know, but she came out, strolled into the ring. She kind of looked like Brock Lesnar when he comes out, and he just has the, I don't give a fuck kind of attitude. So she came out really slow, really lethargic, just looked like she didn't give a shit. Now a lot of people have said this was an amazing moment in the, in the pay-per-view, and that this is like the big thing, this is going to be huge. Personally, I just think Azure looked like she didn't give a shit. I honestly think that, and I think the selling by Awesome Kong was good, I think Brandy really trying to sell the fact that they shouldn't do it now was good, but Azure just looked uninspired in that ring. Now she picked up Ali and kind of walked to the back with Ali, she gave her a couple of pats on the back and that was it. And again, Azure just looked like she didn't want to be there, that maybe the paycheck was just a little bit too much and she couldn't resist that paycheck, I don't know. Maybe something happened, maybe she was in the mood but she still showed up, I'm not going to knock her for anything. But I will say she just looked like she didn't care. Overall though, decent match between the two ladies. I would also recommend not having Brandy go against somebody like Ali. Maybe have Brandy in a tag match in the future. Or even have her go against somebody like Britt Baker. Who might not be at that level either yet. But at least Britt would be able to carry um, Brandy more than Ali would. Ali has a very unique, distinct style that Brandy couldn't really work with. As Britt's is just kind of, I'm going to kick your teeth out. Because I'm a dentist. Yolo swag, as the kids would say. But like I said, decent match. What we'll do now is we'll take a quick commercial break, and obviously it's going to be from our sponsors at Anchor, because that's everyone's favorite sponsor here on the Synopsis Podcast. After that little commercial break, we're going to talk about Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy, who were accompanied to the ring by Marco Stunt, going against the Dark Order and Evans and Angelico. So stay tuned and we're going to discuss that match, all the events, all the spots, all that good stuff, right here, right after. The fans were going crazy for this next match as a boy and his dinosaur, as the team of Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy, accompanied to the ring by Marco Stunt, and that's going to be key later on, so don't forget that. Go against the Dark Order, the team of Evil Uno, Do Grayson. Go against the team of Evans and Angelico, as Justin Roberts pronounced him. 
Keynote, Justin Roberts is the ring announcer for this, so at some point with the Lucha Bros, you will get the as you are so famously known with Justin Roberts' ass. But as we go back into this match between these three teams, very quick match overall with everybody involved. Uh, if you blink kind of moment, you will miss it. Match started off strong. I will say this, I would love to see Jungle Boy go against Darby Allen. I will think those two being so fast-paced styles as they are would have put on a phenomenal match. You throw that into a deathmatch kind of scene or a Fool's Count Anywhere scene, you can't be beat. Jungle Boy, Darby Allen, AW, please make that happen. But Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy, the biggest thing with Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy is obviously Luchasaurus' size. Him and Evil Uno, the two biggest competitors in this match. That's nothing against Stu Grayson or Evans and Hanhedico, but the point is that Evans and Hanhedico are known as the high flyers. Stu Grayson, I thought was very boring until we got further on into the match. I haven't really seen much of the Dark Order, aka the Super Smash Brothers on the independent scenes, only what I've seen in AEW. And I do feel a little bit bad about that because I went in assuming that they were just a boring generic tag team, but that was not the case as this match progressed. I will note that the Dark Order came out to the ring with their creepers, as what they are called. It is a gang of men who wear the masks, and that's going to be a very big factor later on, so stay tuned for that and how that affects the event later. That's not what we're going to talk about right now though. Like I said, this match was a very fast-paced moving match, and the biggest part of that was because of Jungle Boy. He put the load of this match on his back, and that surprised me a lot. Jungle Boy kind of looks like the lost brother of Nick, of Nick and Matt Jackson, and maybe that is something they could explore later on at some point, having these three as a trio instead of the Elite where they have the Bucks and Cody or the Bucks and Hangman, but maybe have it as the Bucks with Jungle Boy. I don't know, maybe he turns on Luchasaurus and decides he wants to be a single I don't know how they would make that work, but Jungle Boy put the load of this on his back and he went against Evans and Angelico. And Evans and Angelico, like I said, very fast-paced moving team. They were brought back from Fighter Fest because they were so popular. Now the whole reason this triple threat match is happening is because the winner of this will go against the best friends, Chuck and um, Trent, at the next AEW pay-per-view. The winner of that match will get a bye in the first round of the Tag Team Championship Tournament that's going to start on the TNT TV series once they get to TV. So that's the whole reason this tag team three-way dance effectively is happening to see who gets that first shot at the best friends for that first round by. Some of the key points from this match are gonna be with Marco Stunt who came into the ring later on and gave a top rope hurricane runner to one of the members. It was, I believe it was Evans. I believe it was Evans and he gave a top rope hurricane runner to and the referee kicked Marco Stunt out. And that's something that JR pointed out, is that earlier in the match, Marco got involved and the referee didn't do anything until he got that Hurricane Rana off. And then the referee decided, hang on a second, I'm going to get involved in this and kick you out. And JR made a very good point on commentary, like where does it stop and where does it start as to if you're allowed to be involved in the match or not. But Luchasaurus, always fantastic. Luchasaurus, also known as Judas for those who know him from previous companies or independent scenes. He's, it's unbelievably amazing how athletic a man his size is. First of all, this man is built like a brick shithouse. He isn't a small guy by no means. He's six foot six, he's like 230 pounds. 
this man can move around like a luchador, hence the name Luchasaurus. But this man is amazing in the ring. His spinning heel kick called the tail whip, the fact that he can do some of these springboard maneuvers, that he can move around like a cruiserweight is just truly phenomenal. Evans had a standing 450 assisted by Angelico, which was very impressive. I wasn't keen on Angelico overall. His character needs probably more development and the fact that he comes around in that whole PVC attire kind of just looking like a hyper version of Orange Cassidy where he doesn't look like he wants to give a shit, but yet he does. And that's where Orange Cassidy's character is better and that Cassidy just gives off such a lethargic demeanor compared to Angelico's. But these guys put on a fantastic show and like I said, I want to shout out Grayson because without without his performance in this match for the Dark Order, I don't think the Dark Order should have won. Evil Uno did a great job, as JR pointed out, breaking up many a pinfall attempt to keep the um, Dark Order in the event. But Grayson really came into his element later on towards the end of the match, and I feel like that was good on his part and good storytelling to show what he can really do in the ring. Very athletic. I did not expect that. He is not built like Luchasaurus. He's not a tall man. He's kind of average height, 5'10", maybe 5'11", but he's a muscular man. And when you look at him, you would assume he'd be a technical wrestler or maybe a wrestler who uses submissions, but he isn't. He uses his high-flying maneuvers, which really surprised me. All three teams really had a good showing in this match, and the winners eventually were the Dark Order. Seeing them go against the best friends would definitely be an interesting match. I would like to see Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus maybe go against Evans and Angelico in the first round of that tag team tournament to really show off more of what they can do. Dark Order ended up winning this match with the Fatality, which is their double team finishing move. This was really a highlight of AEW as a company and how they are so focused and committing on putting emphasis on tag team wrestling. And tag team wrestling is something that has been neglected for years now, thanks to, in part by WWE having so many people, so many stars trying to push in at once. I think AEW has a really good platform that they can take this tag team division and push it to boundaries that haven't even been reached yet. If you haven't watched Fight for the Fallen yet, go to Bleacher Report Live, create yourself a free account, and go and watch this event. It's free until August the 28th when the next AEW event is available. And that event's gonna be live again on Bleacher Report or Fight TV. If you're in the US, use Bleacher Report live for free. If not, go on Fight TV for the rest of you guys around the world and hopefully you'll be able to watch this event too. It is a very, very good card from top to bottom. Very stacked, a lot of people, a lot of things that happened in this whole entire event that people didn't expect to happen. It really put everything over. The Dark Order really put on a good show and like I said, I'm excited to see them next. And I want to go into the next match, which is going to be Hangman Adam Page against Kip Sabian. Not Kip Sabian, who sounds like Chris Sabian from TNA back in the day, but Kip Sabian, the UK wrestler, high flyer against the Hangman Adam Page. And we're going to get right into that right after this quick break. Ugh, bitches talking down bad on me. Guess they must be wearing pads on me. See me happy, they get sad on me. You bored and they show their ass on me. Yeah, I see. Not interested, put it up, cause it's not enough. I had it and every 
time and never fill my cup That's why soon as you went to sleep I used to catch a cut Haul over one of your friends just to catch a nut Keep telling lies about me baby that's just few And I ain't tripping on that shit cause that's just you Trying to tear me down but all that do is build me up Don't let that hate in the army fool y'all don't give a fuck so a quick break there was brought to you by Stan the Man, aka Jaime. I talked about him the other day on a podcast called Music. I believe that was episode two of the synopsis. If you haven't, go check that out. Check out all the artists who are linked in the description below of that podcast. Stan is one of them. Great friend of mine, great person. Go give him some love. Tell him the synopsis sent you, or tell him that Zach sent you. Either way, I'm sure he'll love to hear that. So, moving on to our next match, it's going to be Hangman Adam Page against Kip Sabian. Now, Kip Sabian is somebody who I haven't really seen a lot of in the UK scene. Like I said, I'm not really a UK independent kind of guy. Living in America obviously helps me watch the US independence and stuff like that, but UK independence is something I haven't really caught onto or watched. So, I was interested to see how Hangman would do against Kip Sabian, and what I can say is Sabian is a very underestimated talent. Now, he has a lot of high-risk maneuvers, he's very, very quick and very technical, and you can really see that in the way he wrestles. He was trained by the Knight family, and if you don't know who that is, the name Paige may ring a bell, and Paige is Soraya Knight, who comes from that long, illustrious Knight family who are known for everything in the United Kingdom. So he put on a great show against Hangman Adam Page. The biggest issue I have with Adam Page, unfortunately, now don't get me wrong, I'm not knocking Page, I'm not knocking his ability, I think he's a phenomenal talent, a great wrestler, and he's really going to be a great showing one day. However, I think he's been pushed too fast here in AEW. The reason I believe that is because when you look at him versus Sabian in this match, you can tell, much like Brandy versus Ali, where you have two wrestlers in the ring whose styles don't really match, but you need somebody to carry the match. That is Hangman Adam Page versus Kip Sabian. Page does not have that level yet of where he can carry a full match against another competitor and really put on a good show. Now, don't get me wrong, Adam Page versus Chris Jericho is going to be a great main event for the heavyweight title of AEW. And I really hope Jericho goes over there because if they put the title on Page, based on what I saw in this match, it's going to be too early. Paige did a great job selling his knee injury. That's something that I want to put out there. Paige did a fantastic job doing that. Because every time he did a move, every time he did a big move, there he was grabbing that left knee, just kind of subtly putting the idea out there that it still is bothering him even though it wasn't taped up. And that's going to come into play, I believe, in the next AEW event against Chris Jericho, where that knee's eventually going to give out, Jericho's going to connect with that Walls of Jericho, Page will tap eventually, or pass out out of Steve Austin, Bret Hart, and then Jericho will win the title. I think that's going to come into play. But if that does happen, write it down in your calendar, July 16th, the Synopsis Podcast told you that it will happen. Now, I do realise I just said July 16th, which puts this at a Tuesday, and Fight for the Fordham was on Saturday, so I am a little bit behind on this podcast, but I did want to savor the moment, really watch the matches, not just rush something out there like most people do, and really give you my thoughts and in-depth synopsis. See what I did there? Because that's the name of the podcast. That's the... You know, I'll stop.
but really give you my synopsis of the whole entire match card from top to bottom with my insights and not just rushing it out there or whatever else may come from it. So let's get back to the match of Adam Page and Kip Saban. Like I said, they had a very strong showing. I don't think Page is just there yet. I do like the Deadeye, I do like the Slingshot Lariat, but it's a case of once you get past Page's ability to pull off maneuvers like that, what does Adam Page have to put him as the heavyweight champion or even put him in the title picture for that? Let's just think about it. Let that sink in. Besides the athleticism that Adam Page has, what really puts him in the world heavyweight title contendership? I think commentary team hit on it nail on the head when they said Kip Sabian said Adam Page had a lot handed to him because he was on the BTE YouTube series. If you haven't seen the BTE YouTube series, the Being the Elite series, Adam Page is good friends with the Young Bucks and Cody, Kenny, all those people, Marty Skrull, I don't know if I can mention him though because he's technically on contract with Ring of Honor but they did do a lot together. But if you haven't ever watched those series, and a lot of people who watch AEW have, but a lot of people are coming in wanting a new alternative to WWE or Ring of Honor or New Japan or TNA whoever it might be. A lot of people are excited to see this brand new fresh product out there, much like we were when ECW came out back all the way in the 90s. It was like, oh my goodness, this is extreme championship wrestling. There's tables, there's chairs, there's barbed wire, there's kendo sticks. The US audience hadn't ever been introduced to death matches like they had in Japan when Cactus Jack was going against Stan Hansen or something like that. The US didn't ever see that. So for AEW to come along, a lot of people are looking at it as an alternative to these other companies. And they see Adam Page versus Kip Sabian. And they see Adam Page mid-card on this whole entire event. And they are pushing him as a world heavyweight title contender. And it doesn't make sense when you think about it. Shouldn't your heavyweight title contenders or whoever it may be, be in the main event or the second main event, sub main event, whatever. They shouldn't be middle card because that's kind of where Page and Sabian is. Yeah, we have one or two matches, I think three overall coming after this. So it's still mid card. So for that man, Adam Page, to be pushed as a main event contender, but still be mid card, kind of says to me where he really should be in the AEW roster. You have a lot of people who deserve that main event title potential. Jericho obviously is going to have the heavyweight title, I hope so, at the next event. There's Kenny Omega, John Moxley, Luchasaurus even, Joey Janela. The list can go on and on. Pentagon Jr. could break away from Ray Phoenix and go for that title himself. I would love to see Christopher Daniels one more time go for a title and fight Chris Jericho for it. Both of those men going head to head for a title would be a match made in heaven. You heard it here first on the synopsis. If those two were to go against each other, it would be nothing but money. So Adam Page, Kip Sabian, very good match. Page ends up winning, beating Sabian. Again, a decent match. I don't really want to talk about so much as what happened in the match because that's not why you guys are here on this podcast. You're here to hear my thoughts, my rambles, etc, etc. I don't want to go into deep discussions about how, oh, Sabian saw 
Paige had a bad knee, so he targeted the knee and he worked the knee over for 35 minutes, which he didn't, by the way. That's just an example. I do watch all the matches before I do these reviews. But you guys don't want to hear that. You guys want to hear my opinions and potentials, feuds, or whatever might happen in the future. If you like these podcasts and you like the descriptions I'm doing, then by all means, let me know. I will do more. I will do a lot more in different shows or whatever it may be. We have links, we have podcasts on seven different platforms right now. We even just got a donation option on anchor.fm. So it's a monthly subscription almost where you can donate money to us, help us with our equipment or with better podcasts, whatever it may be. It's kind of like a Patreon, but not Patreon as per se. So if you're interested in something like that, links will be in the description on anchor.fm. I'm not sure if they show up on Spotify or Google Podcasts or anything else like that. They probably don't, but just know if you go to anchor.fm, that's A-N-C-H-O-R.fm, you can get all these podcasts earlier than they come out on Spotify or on Google Podcasts because that takes a while for them to get distributed. And you can find all our links, ask us questions, leave us voice messages, all of that stuff. So Paige versus Sabian, very good match. Biggest thing I want to talk about of this match is the aftermath. Remember when I said earlier that the Creepers were going to play a part later on in the card? This is that part. One Creeper came out, came to the ring, and completely destroyed Adam Page. Beat the ever-loving crap out of him. Hits him with the Codebreaker. Now at this point, everyone in that arena knew who was behind that mask, but still were not 100% sure. So the Creeper grabs the mask from the chin, slowly lifts it up, you see the goatee, you see the beard. You're still thinking, I'm pretty sure I know who it is, but is it that man? All the way off, reveals the GOAT, the walking legend, the man himself, Y2J, Chris Jericho. And he's laughing, he's smiling, he knows he just got the one up on Adam Page. And Page is struggling to get to his feet, JR's doing a great job saying that Jericho is sneaky, he knows when to pick his spots, he knows what he's doing, and whenever he takes advantage, he's gonna take advantage in the fullest effect. And this wouldn't be the last time we see Jericho. Jericho will come out later on to cut a great promo against the people of Jacksonville and overall against everybody in AEW about not getting his thank you. But Paige slowly gets up and boom, spinning back elbow, the Judas effect hits, knocking Paige out, giving him a giant black eye, cutting him above the eyebrow. Here's the thing. The Judas effect I love. I think it's a great move. I think it brings great authenticity to the maneuver. The problem with it is this. Because it has been debuted so recently and it isn't known in the repertoire of Chris Jericho, it has to be sold more on commentary. And that's where this maneuver suffers. There was no selling on commentary for a good two or three seconds until Alex yelled out, oh, it's the Judas effect. As soon as that elbow hit, as soon as Jericho spun, they should have been like, oh my God, is he gonna hit it? Is he gonna set up for it? Is he gonna hit the Judas effect? really giving legitimacy to that maneuver as a finisher. Jericho has hit it in Japan. It knocked out people. He got the pinfall wins with the Judas effect. He hit it in the last AEW event to get the three count. I don't think commentary are really putting this maneuver over as much as they should be to set it as a legitimate Jericho finisher. We all know about the Codebreaker. We all know about the Lion Salt, the Walls of Jericho. They've been in his repertoire for years. But the great thing about Jericho is he's always evolving. This man isn't stopping. It's unbelievable how a man has been in the industry for this long. And every single time we see him, 
He's still bringing out new moves. He's still creating something. He's still the perfect heel that we need in the wrestling right now. And a lot of people can be like, oh, well, you know, it's Jericho. He has the experience. Yes, he does. But the great thing about Chris is he's always adapting and evolving with the times. We went through this on another podcast about the evolution of things, how everything should always go with time and flow, and Jericho does that. It doesn't matter how old he is. It doesn't matter what company he's in. Chris Jericho brings the pain. That's why he's the pain maker. That's why he is the GOAT. That's why he is the best in the world, because Chris Jericho cannot be touched on any level whatsoever. So for Jericho to be out here, really giving the rub to Adam Page, shows you the belief AEW has in Page, but they also shows you the respect and the belief that they have in Chris Jericho to carry a young man like this, to try and bring him to that next level. So Chris Jericho, doesn't matter where he is, he is the GOAT. You cannot argue with me on that. He's never gonna listen to this little podcast. I get that, and that's fine. But if Jericho ever hears anything I say about him, number one, don't kill me, don't beat my ass, but number two, you are the GOAT, you are the best. That's not a fanboy, that's just straight facts. There's nobody in the history of wrestling who can hold a candle to Chris Jericho. I don't care if you say Hogan, I don't care if you say Michaels, it doesn't matter. Jericho is untouched. With that being said, we're going to go on to somebody else who has been in the industry a very long time and who I mentioned a little bit earlier. Christopher Daniels and SCU are going to go on a tag team match against the Lucha Brothers. It's going to be Scorpio Sky and Frankie Kazarian against Ray Phoenix and Pentacon Jr. And the reason I mentioned Christopher Daniels and Chris Jericho, like I said, they've both been in the industry for years. Put these two in a match together, watch magic happen. I guarantee you will not be disappointed. Scorpio's guy and Frankie Kazarian against the Lucha Brothers. SCU come out to a thunderous ovation, as expected, going in Jacksonville. They cut their promo saying that Jacksonville is the worst town they've ever been in, and the fans eat it up, they love it, they join in with the songs, the cheering, all that good stuff. Daniels brings out the microphone, the SCU chant during the entrance, it's great stuff. SCU go on to say that they're repping the Jacksonville Jaguars colors, they do the little Jaguars chant, and then out come the Lucha Bros. Now of course, if you're familiar with Justin Roberts and his entrance, you already know you're going to get Pentacon Jr. and Ray Phoenix. I'm not sure if I can live up to Justin Roberts' introductions, but hey, I got the I got the little arms rolling, you know, it's a little bit of a vibe, you can't deny that. The Lucha Bros come into the ring, make their entrance, Pentagon Jr. does the Cero Miedo, you know, his Zero Fear thing. Great contest between these two teams, Daniels still has it at his age. A man his age shouldn't be moving around like he does, but he gets involved in the match a little bit later on, and we'll get into that. But I want to talk about Scorpio Sky and Kazarian and Excalibur making a very good point on commentary that this is the first time Kazarian and Sky have teamed up against the Lucha Brothers. It's not the first time SCU have faced the Lucha Brothers, it's normally Daniels and Kazarian. Scorpio Sky has typically sat on the sidelines for SCU, especially during their time with Ring of Honor. Which is fine, but Sky is an underutilized talent and he's very, very good at what he does. So putting him in that tag team match against the Lucha Bros gives him a chance to shine. It gives SCU a chance to kind of phase Daniels out because he's getting on a little bit, but so is Kaz. 
Kazarian has got 20 plus years in this industry. He's getting on in the age now, you can kind of see it. He's still moving like he's 20 years old, but SCU slowly is winding down, especially in their career. Sky is the next guy to really take off in that, so he needs to be pushed more than he is. He did a great job showing on Sky in this match. Match started off hot, as you would expect, between any opponents of the Lucha Brothers. Phoenix started off in the match with Pentagon, both doing their things, a Seattle Miedo. Fun fact is that even though Pentagon has that as his main thing, Ray Phoenix will join in every single time, really cementing the Lucha Brothers, who are the AAA Tag Team Champions in Mexico. So these aren't any people who are just like randomly thrown together, these are a legitimate tag team. Pentagon Jr. wrestled in Impact for a while, he was the heavyweight champion for a bit, he was the tag team champion for a bit as well. Really storied career in the United States does Pentagon Jr. have. Ray Phoenix kind of came in a little bit later, but he has been teaming with Pentagon for a long time in Mexico. Both of these men, phenomenal athletes. Every single move they did in the ring just seemed to flow fluidly. Great thing about the Lucha Brothers is that you're not really sure if they're supposed to be heel or face in this match. Same with SCU, they both kind of give off a neutral vibe which the fans will just eat up and treat them both as face teams. However, Lucha Brothers will do some heel tactics, especially later on during the match. The first heel thing they really did was go after Christopher Daniels. Action would spill outside of the ring. Daniels would just be there watching and then suddenly got hit with a double team move by Pentagon and Ray. Now Daniels wouldn't be happy with this, obviously nobody would. Who would be happy about just minding your own business and boom, double super kick to the head, y'all. Y'all like, what? What just happened? Y'all got me fucked up. Daniels turns around, hits the split-legged moonsault on the outside from the apron, off the top rope, onto both of the men, much to the displeasure of referee Audrey. Now this is something I want to point out that's very important in this match. The referee in this match was a female. It was Audrey who was the only female referee in AEW. This is a huge thing because I don't believe in any other company, and I may be wrong so correct me if I am, but especially in the WWE, a female referee would referee a female's match. They wouldn't go into gender with the referee and, and have her do a male's match. This is where AEW are really pushing boundaries and showing other companies how it should be done because there's no reason in 2019 or in wrestling overall to discriminate against females and males. I get the intergender stuff where they don't want to be hitting each other, that's fine, but having a female referee for a males match, there's no reason whatsoever why that shouldn't happen in today's day and age. With that, after Daniels hit that moonsault, the referee wasn't having any of it, she told him, hey, I'm done with your shit, get out. Instead of Daniels bitching and complaining, I mean, he did put up a little bit of a fight, but he didn't do what normal male competitors would do against male referees, where they would threaten them or whatever. He just kind of said, okay, whatever, I'm leaving. As he was leaving, Phoenix and Pentagon were kind of giving him the shoe get out of here thing, and Daniels was visibly pissed by that, which I don't blame him, especially when Phoenix and Pentagon were the ones who started it in the first place. If you kick him in the face, he's going to turn around and retaliate. You then can't expect him to not do anything and then be shocked when he does. Granted, you can't see the Lucha Bros' facial expressions, but their body language really tells a tale of the story, which is key to any wrestling match or wrestling storyline that you have to be able to tell that story with your body and with your face. If your face is covered, the next best thing is the body language. So after Daniels is ejected, everything goes back into the ring. 
some good high spots, some fast paced action, Lucha Bros end up going over with the package power drive, a double foot stomp team move against Scorpio Sky. Smart move having Scorpio take the pin, it kind of gives Scorpio more of an incentive to get back into the ring to face the Lucha Brothers. If you had Kaz take the fall, or even Daniels come back and do something, it wouldn't have really had much of an effect. After the match, Daniels comes back and tries to help out SCU as they're being double team attacked by the Lucha Brothers from a giant gold ladder. And that ladder kind of threw me out of left field there because why was it gold first of all? I get AEW and everything, but they're really going out of their way, spending a little bit extra money for a gold ladder. It's kind of a vibe. I wish I had a gold ladder. Hey, AEW, if you want to set me a gold ladder, go right ahead. You know, anything made of gold would be much appreciated. But um, Daniels comes out, gets leveled with the ladder. The bros climb up, and in Spanish, Pentagon challenges the Young Bucks to a ladder match at the next AEW event. Ray Phoenix kind of does a little bit of translating. You can obviously tell both of these men's English isn't their strongest point, that the action is always told in the ring, and that's fine. They don't need to be speaking English. However, if you're doing something like that, maybe have somebody come out and translate for them, or have their scripted promo, something that they could learn very basic English off of to get the point across. The point was obviously put across by the two. The fans loved it. The challenge wouldn't be answered by the Young Bucks later on, but we'll get into that a little bit later. Time restraints kind of put a damper on AEW as a whole, but the match between SCU and the Lucha Bros, fantastic match. Highly recommend any match out of this card to watch. Lucha Brothers, SCU, just purely because of the way the Lucha Brothers can move around the wing and make it look so, so very easy. In our semi-main event, we're going to have Seema, the leader of the Stronghearts, take on Kenny Omega in his first singles match of AEW. His last match was with the Young Bucks against uh, the Laredo Kid and the Lucha Bros. So, his first match in AEW, going against Seema, trying to get that W. Seema's last match was against Christopher Daniels. Seema came out on top, which was kind of expected because it was against Daniels. Daniels is kind of an enhancer at this point in his career, which is no skin off his back. He's had a storied career. He's doing backstage stuff now. He's doing great. Here we have two amazing people who have made their illustrious careers basically in Japan. They did say that Kenny has never been to Mexico before, and Seema has that great Mexican style of wrestling, which he really put out there during this Kenny Omega match. And the commentary team did a great job saying that he is from Mexico's training and all that good stuff to really show he has that Mexican influence in his wrestling talent. Match starts off very technical between Kenny and Seema. Kenny Omega obviously using more of the grapple maneuver. He's grown accustomed to to use in Japan over the years. Against Seema, Seema obviously being able to counter them, being able to use his luchador kind of background, his Japanese background to really just go hold to hold with Kenny. This match was amazing counter wrestling. If you're going to watch any match this year and look for counter wrestling, Seema versus Kenny Omega is that match. These guys would go hold to hold and every single time they would do something, someone else had to counter for it. Obviously though, that wasn't going to stay. Everyone eventually gets caught out with their counters. And Kenny and Seema are no different. The match starts spinning out to the outside. It starts being more high risk maneuvers, more hard blows, all that good stuff. 
The match spills to the outside eventually and Kenny does something with a table and the commentary team are trying to figure out what exactly he could be planning. Kenny however wouldn't be able to use that table and it wasn't a big table and more of a bell stand you know where they put the ring bell on and a ding ding all that good stuff that little tiny kind of table like a nightstand almost. As Kenny turns around he's hit in the face by Seema and these two continue to go at it. Eventually, at some point during the match, Seema ends up on top of the stage in front of the crowd. Kenny is perched over that table, chest exposed, ready to be hit. Seema jumps off the balcony onto Kenny Omega, hits the Meteora square onto him, onto that nightstand table kind of mixture hybrid, doing some damage. It was a great visual there in this match, seeing Seema jump off of that balcony to hit Omega. Something that you would love to see over and over and over again. So that was a great spot. Action goes back into the ring. And again, I don't really want to kind of go over the action. I want to kind of give you bullet points on it to show you how good of a match this was. And how good the card was in general. But I don't want to go too much into the match. And too much into discussing the characters. And what they could do and couldn't do. Because that's not what this podcast is about. But Kenny and Seema go back into the ring. Great segment there where they're slapping the shit out of each other's face. And they aren't even playing with that point. It's just slap, slap. And you could hear the slap. It was a kind of slap. And that's something that was picked up a lot of on this whole entire card. It's the sounds that the slaps and the chops would make. The previous match between SCU and the Lucha Bros, there was a typical segment where they do the knife edge chops. Pentagon does his Sierra Miedo stuff and he hits a chop on Daniels and it's just you hear it echo throughout the arena. This was no exception here between Seema and Omega where you just hear the slaps and it's just back and forth and you get that great New Japan spot where it's just elbow, elbow, forearm, forearm and they're just going at it to see who will take over. Eventually though, Kenny will get the upper hand only to be countered by Seema again after that Meteora. And I do want to mention, after he did the Meteora foot stomp from the balcony, he drew Omega back in the ring, hit him with a Meteora onto his back, and then straight after that Meteora right onto his front to go and get a close to full. It was very close to a three count, but alas, Kenny managed to get the shoulder up, and that's when the match kind of shifted into this Japanese brawl between Omega and Seema. Omega getting the upper hand, hitting the back to the head, trigger it sounded nasty it sounded so dirty and that's something that both of these men did phenomenal jobs that was the hard-hitting stuff that they would just do to each other from meteora to the v trigger to the eventual finishing maneuver the one-winged angel which obviously is going to give kenny the w against Seema. but they were just going at it and you could get that typical japanese strong style when you hear the v trigger and you just hear a and that's it Seema just looks unconscious, he looks like he's been knocked out, but he still manages to roll that shoulder up to give that a little bit more drama to the match. That's something that makes a difference between a good wrestling match and a great wrestling match. That is when you can feel the impact of the hit. When you don't just see it, but you feel it as well. If you can, as a fan, look at a match and see Seema get hit in the back of the head with that V-trigger, or Kenny get hit three times with the Meteora, which Seema went to a lot in this match, I will say that, Seema's move repertoire did seem a lot heavy on the Meteora and that was kind of it. That's fine, but in the global stage like this, you need to have a little bit more going for you than the Meteora. I know he can do many more moves, but he kind of seemed to be just heavy handed on this maneuver tonight. But when you can feel the V-Trigger from Kenny on Seema's head, 
that's how you have a great match on your hands. That's when you know, hey, this is something special we're watching and we should just enjoy it. And the fans loved it. Absolutely loved it. Kenny ends up setting the one-winged angel, hits Seema with it for the three count. Omega celebrates, leaves the ring, Seema leaves after it, and then we are greeted again for the second time tonight by none other than the man, the myth, the legend, the goat, the Ayatollah of rock and roller, the lead singer of Fozzy, Chris Jericho. Jericho makes his way to the ring to the Judas song. Again, a nice touch that Jericho has naming his new finisher after his entrance music out of the song that he made with Fozzy. I like that touch, Y2J, very, very intelligent man. He makes his way to the ring. He starts to cut a promo on Adam Page, but he first he cannot help but take some shots at Jacksonville. He calls them Jerksonville to begin with, followed by Jack Offsonville, which the fans hated. They boo. He said, hey, if you want to boo somebody, boo me. I'm Chris Jericho, which they ate up. They started booing. Jericho went into his promo. Now, it was a great promo by Jericho talking about how All Elite Wrestling basically started because of him. And it's hard to argue that he really did put legitimacy into the company when you had a bunch of independent wrestlers starting a new company, everyone thought, well, they have no big signings. It's just a t-shirt company. People still say that about AEW, but Jericho in AEW really puts legitimacy into the company. Talking about how he has made the TNT deals happen, how when he goes to the next event, he's gonna become the AEW Heavyweight Champion at All Out in Chicago. And then he goes into one of the best Jericho promos I've ever heard when he talks about what happens if he loses to Hangman Adam Page. He said he was sitting there watching the event of All Elite Wrestling where the winner of the Battle Royal would become number one contender for the Heavyweight Championship to fight Chris Jericho. And he made some great references here. He, my favorite one was Michael Oyozawa instead of Nakazawa because of the whole baby oil thing. I loved it. I thought that was absolutely phenomenal. It gave me a chuckle. I laughed out loud when I watched it. My wife was like, what are you laughing at? I was like, he just said Oyozawa. You won't understand it, but that was mwah, chef's kiss. That was a great wordplay there by Y2J. He goes on to say about how if he loses to Adam Page, it will be the demise of AEW and the demise of Chris Jericho. Very important thing to mention, like we said earlier in the podcast, Jericho isn't exactly a spring chicken anymore, but he still has that talent and can still produce great, high quality matches that are unseen and unheard of by anybody else. Big thing that would be great to play into now would be having Chris Jericho win, but only just win, and then Adam Page trying to basically have Jericho retire by winning the championship back off of him. That would add credibility to the Hangman character. And the way that would do that is you would have Adam Page chasing after something and having a reason to chase after it instead of just being thrown into the main event scene like he has been against Jericho. If you have Jericho beat Page and Page turn around and be like, okay, give me one more chance. If I win that title, you have to retire. But if you beat me, I never get a title shot in AEW as long as you are in it. That would be a great storyline to set up between the Hangman and between Chris Jericho, but I'm not a booker, I'm not a writer, so again, AEW, if you're listening, you know, you got it from the Synopsis podcast here first. I highly doubt they're listening, guys, let's be honest. There's like four of you listening right now, and even then, there's probably two of you because this is a wrestling review, and you're like, I don't want to listen to that wrestling stuff, I want to hear you talk about other shit, but that's me digressing again. 
As Jericho is still in the middle of his promo, Adam Page comes out from behind, hits Jericho, they both get into a brawl. And Helico, Evans, Daniels, a couple of other members of the, of the locker room and backstage staff would come out to try and separate Hangman and Jericho. They would brawl a little bit more. And at the end of it, everyone was separated. Jericho was on the outside. Hangman was on the inside. Jericho cut a great promo, like I said, opening up with the Hangman's blood on his hand. Jericho can't be touched, I've said it before, I say it again, the GOAT. And this will lead us into our main event of the evening, which was the Young Bucks versus the Rhodes Brothers, aka the Brotherhood, and this will be our final match of the evening in this hot, sweltering, 85 plus degree weather in Florida. The Young Bucks will be the first team to make their entrance in the main event, which put me through a loop a little bit, I was expecting Cody and Dustin to come out first and the Young Bucks to be second because of their tag team status, but I was wrong. Nick and Matt make their entrance, followed by Dustin, and then out comes Cody, the American Nightmare, who wasn't accompanied by Brandy. That's something that surprised me, Brandy wasn't involved in accompanying Cody Rhodes. The main thing about this match was the lead up to it on the Being Elite episode, Nick and Matt Jackson were making fun of Cody and Dustin really on their last fight that they had between the two of them about how they was bleeding and how Cody said he needed a brother not a friend. The Jacksons really did put a lot of emphasis on the Beanie Elite episodes to make fun of them in the build up for this match which is sounds pretty smart because they don't really have any TV time as of yet so the best way to build feuds is online or through using their YouTube series and I think the Jacksons have done a very very good job using Beanie Elite as that platform to build up the feuds. Now as the match goes, it was your typical tag team match, the Jacksons got all their stuff in, Cody got some stuff in and Dustin got his stuff. The main thing about this tag team match was the storytelling between all four men. It started off with Cody and Nick in the ring, Nick and Cody did the handshake, they did a couple of grappling maneuvers, reversed each other, came back and forward, Cody went to shake Nick's hand again and Nick kicked it away. That was really the start of the downfall of the respect factor between the Jacksons and the Rhodes Brothers. And that was something that I didn't expect to see. I expected them to be like friendly competition and then when Dustin came in, then everyone will be like, oh, it's Dustin Rhodes, he doesn't like the Jacksons, rah, let's fight each other. But no, they showed disrespect to Cody as well, which was a nice little touch. Speaking of nice little touches, Cody wearing the same ring attire or matching attire at the very least to Dustin. Obviously, Dustin wears the PVC suit, this time it's sleeveless, unlike his gold Dustin gimmick. But Cody wearing the same matching gear was a nice little touch that they had between the Rhodes brothers. Obviously these two in the past haven't got along because of Dusty and Dustin getting into arguments and stuff like that in the past. Obviously they reconciled before Dusty's untimely death, but Cody and Dustin didn't speak to each other for a long time as he said on Jericho's podcast. Again, we're talking about Jericho somehow, the GOAT, I will tell you this over and over again, he's great. Back to the ring action and Dustin is now tagged into the match, him and Nick Jackson go at it a little bit. And some great storytelling by Matt Jackson here. Matt Jackson gets his arm hit in the ring post and for a solid 10 minutes or so, Matt Jackson is in the ring getting the arm worked on. And that's something that you don't see a lot in wrestling anymore, is that storytelling of that injured limb or ligament or piece or whatever it may be. And I mentioned it a little bit earlier with the Adam Page match, but in this match it was very very clear that Matt Jackson had something wrong with his arm because that's all Dustin and Cody were targeting. And there were submission moves on the arm, it was just targeting the arm, Jim Ross even said, the toe of the boot is illegal in wrestling but the flat isn't. 
So to see Cody using the toe of the boot on the shoulder of Matt Jackson, not the chest, the shoulder that was injured, is something that has been missed in wrestling for years. And Excalibur also said that Matt Jackson turning to get his ribs hit over that injured shoulder really sells the fact that Jackson was holding that injury and it was a long time before he could tag out to really help it. Now obviously we've got the usual Young Bucks spots with the super kicks, the high flying, you know, the moonsaults to the outside by Nick. But Dustin did a lot of work in this match and is very underestimated in how much he could do it as a 50 year old man winding down in his heydays. Dustin did a lot of this match, now, obviously it was mainly carried by Cody and Matt Jackson. Nick did a lot as well, but Matt spent most 10-15 minutes in that match just working on that arm, really selling the injury and the story behind it, really did a lot of work for both of these teams, the Bucks and the Rhodes Brothers. A double team move by the Rhodes Brothers and assisted crossroads, Dustin even hitting a high flying crossbody from the top rope, not the middle rope that you're used to seeing, but the top rope flying crossbody by Dustin Rhodes and you've got to remember again this is a 50 year old man who isn't known for his high flying. People like Daniels and Jericho they're also up in that age range but they can still do the high flying maneuvers because that's something they've been doing over their careers for years and years and years. Dustin Rhodes aka Goldust hasn't been doing that. If you know the Goldust character and the evolution of the Goldust character you know he isn't known for a high flyer but he's known for his more of his mind games and his unique offense, shall we say. Young Bucks double team move as well, included the super kicks. Double drop down uppercut by the Young Bucks, mimicking Dustin and Cody who hit that double team move earlier in the match. Shades of gold dust and stardust from the WWE days, but the Young Bucks hitting that double team move to a great pop from the audience. Then Dustin and Cody hit their own versions of the super kicks as a double team move. So they're throwing their own super kicks parties left, right and center out here. Really showing off the talent of all four men in this match. As it starts to wind down, the Young Bucks get the hot tag. Nick Jackson comes in, does some work. It breaks down into a 2v2 inside the ring. The referee at this point has lost control of the match as JR quite happily says over and over again. The referee needs to try and gain control, but he couldn't. The match ends when Cody of all people, I expected is to be Dustin. I really expected Dustin Rhodes to take the pin here. The reason I expected Dustin to take the pin here over Cody was because I was assuming Cody would want to be protected. He just had that 20 minute time limit draw the other week with Darby Allen, and now to come into this and get pinned by the Young Bucks, it kind of may be a redemption storyline that we have going for Cody Rhodes. That's something that we'll have to see if that progresses down that line. Cody ends up getting hit with the Meltzer driver for the 1-2-3 and that's the end of the match. Dustin goes into the ring, covers Cody, trying to support him to really stop the Jacksons to do any more damage to him. Obviously after the match they're not going to try and do an assault or anything like that. They already hit a double super kick to the back of his head where he had those staples. They already did their damage, their job's already done, they won their match. Cody eventually gets to his feet with help from Dustin and the Jacksons and they start to cut a promo. Now here's where the big issue with a new company like AEW starts. And this is a question I have as well since we were on Bleacher Report Live and Fight TV in the United States. If you're doing a free streaming service, how are you running on a time limit? That's just my question. Maybe there was a paid box office I wasn't sure about. Maybe they had a lights out curfew at the arena. I don't know. but. Matt Jackson started doing a promo saying how he was just doing it out of competition. They were making fun of the road growers just to get them heated so they get the very best of them. And then the music started to play. Now Nick Jackson and Matt Jackson were saying, no, 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 stop the music. What are you doing? And even Dustin 
was turned into the backstage area and signaling, hey, cut off the music. And awkwardly, and very, very shyly, Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy came out, followed by Kenny Omega and followed by Khan. And they were saying, oh, I guess we ran out of time. So how does a how does a new promotion who is on a streaming service to show their app for free, basically, run out of time? This is my question. Now, as a new promotion, you should really think, hey, now it's time to try and learn, get the kinks out, and I get it. But we can try and get the kinks out of running on times right now. Obviously, they went over for whatever reason it may be. They ended up going over the time limit, which is fine. But the segment was awkwardly cut. And this was a big thing because not only were the Jacksons in the middle of cutting a promo, but they never got to answer the Lucha Bros challenge, which they had for that ladder match at All Out in Chicago. So right now we're left in the dark as, will the Lucha Bros be fighting the Young Bucks or would that just not happen because they ran out of time? That's me digressing, but that's a legitimate question that a lot of people are asking right now is if they ran out of time to cut that promo, to finish cutting that promo, where does that leave the Lucha Bros and the Young Bucks? That's a great question. So the people are coming from backstage at this point with a giant check. Brandy is with them. So instead of accompanying Cody to the ring, she was obviously in the back getting changed, getting her makeup done and then after the match she had with Ali to get ready for this introduction of this check. Now this check was $150,000 that AEW are donating to Jacksonville to help stop gun violence. Highly recommend anyone who can donate for a cause definitely donate a cause to stop gun violence in America. It is way too common nowadays. There's more gun violence in America than there is days in a year. And that's a true fact, look it up. It's absolutely crazy to somebody like myself who moved here from England to see that there's more gun violence and more people being shot than there is days of the year. That's ridiculous in my opinion, but that is only my personal opinion that is in no way, shape or form associated with AEW or anybody who may sponsor this podcast. That is my personal opinion only. I will state that again. So they donate this check. It's $150,000. Cody goes through. He says 10,000 is from Kenny. 5,000 is from Khan. 110,000 is from AEW. 20,000 is from blah, blah, blah. And then Cody starts cutting this little tiny promo about how nobody can outbook them or how he's basically taking shots at the WWE. And before the promo were cut off from the Jacksons, Matt was saying how there was this legacy legend that went around the wrestling industry about the Rhodes Brothers being a tag team. And because he hadn't watched much of the other product, as he put it, and looked directly into the camera, he was questioning in if they were any good but they're one of the best tag teams the Jacksons had ever faced. Now that's all well and good, but my biggest issue with AEW right now is this. You are spending too much time focusing, taking shots at other companies than you are progressing and working on your company. And the reason I say that, again, I love AEW, I love the talent, I love how they did the card, I loved everything about it, but spend less time taking shots at the other company. You don't need to be the throne breaker. You don't need to be mentioning the other product. You can just be doing your own thing, not acknowledging that other company, not acknowledging WWE or TNA or whatever it may be, unless you're working with them. There's no reason in the wrestling industry right now in this day and age, we should be firing shots. There's so many companies, so many independent scenes where we can all just be working as one unit and that unit is to entertain the fans. Friendly competition is one thing, that's fine. But we don't have another WCW, WWE situation on our hands. If AEW are going to do better than the World Wrestling Entertainment, then they're going to do better. There's nothing Vince or anyone else in the world can do to stop that. 
There is no TV war, there is no merchandise war. Everyone who wants to watch AEW is going to watch AEW. And it's so freely available now compared to what WCW was back in the 90s and early 2000s that it's not going to make a difference. You could have them both go against each other on TV at the exact same time and it doesn't matter who would win because whoever would win would be on TV still. The other company would go to online only or something like that. AEW would have no problem going to online only and producing weekly shows or something like that. I guarantee it. They still get hundreds of thousands of views. People will still buy their merch. Look at New Japan. New Japan has a streaming service that they made for America and it gets thousands of views every single week. They produce their own shows for the American audience and people buy their shirts, people buy their merchandise, everything. New Japan is still competing with the rest of the promotions and they don't even speak the English language in their commentary. They do have American commentators and options, but their primary commentary team is Japanese. Same with Lucha Libre and AAA and all that good stuff. They may not speak English, but the fans are going to watch regardless because they care about the quality of the matches and the storylines and they, they are invested in the talent that is on the roster. You don't need to be making shots. I get it, you're trying to get yourself out there, you're trying to get more known, that's fine, but wouldn't it be better to have a good working relationship with the competition than just to have everyone trying to put everyone else out of business. Having different alternative brands and alternative companies is what makes wrestling special. There's a brand or a company specifically for anybody of the, any style of wrestling. You have GCW based on death matches for the death match hardcore blood kind of fan. You have Ring of Honor for the technical, less storyline driven, more wrestling action kind of fan. You have New Japan for the strong style. Now you have WWE for the storyline, so proper kind of, kind of storytelling, and now you have AEW who are just a mixture of all of that. So there's no harm in having multiple companies in the same industry doing their best just to make the fans happy. That's my two cents on the whole entire thing. Overall though, the AEW Fight for the Fallen card was a fantastic card. The event was good, a couple of hiccups here and there. That's to be expected from a company that's still really pushing itself from the ground up. The time limit thing still confuses me a little bit, but hey, hopefully the kinks in the machine will be fixed before the All Out in Chicago event. Other than that, like I said, very solid card, great performers. I can't complain about any match overall. It was a very, very fun experience to watch fight for the fallen with that being said that's pretty much the end of the review that we have here on the synopsis again this is really our first wrestling review if you guys like it i will do more of those for sure we just had extreme rules that was gone by recently we just had raw AEW have all out coming in august so that would be a great event to do a review on let me know on the anchor app on spotify or on twitter at i like tatted chef if you would like me to do more of these or more topic ideas for the synopsis podcast for us to talk about have fun with I'm still going to do that 1990s nostalgia episode. I'm still going to try and get a co-host on here. I know I've been saying that for four episodes now. 
but it is gonna happen, damn it. One day, I will get somebody else on the synopsis, and you, you guys are gonna be like, holy shit, he actually did it. He actually got somebody else. He's not just a madman who's speaking to himself inside of his house while his baby is asleep and his wife is in bed. And that may be true, but as of right now, for now anyway, you guys are enjoying what's happening, so I appreciate that for sure. Thank you so much for listening, guys. Thank you so much for following, for all the plays that you are giving me right now on Spotify or on Anchor or Google Podcasts. I really do appreciate it. Anybody you share this podcast with, if you can make their day a little bit better, I appreciate that too. That's my goal in the podcast, just so we have fun and we can really push out that positive energy. My name is Zach. You have been listening to my AEW Fight for the Fallen Wrestling Review on the Synopsis Podcast. Again, I really appreciate you guys for sticking around, for just having that little bit of time out of your day to say, hey, what's up? The synopsis, let's do it. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you guys. I will be hitting your eardrums in the next episode, episode five. Can you believe we're already five episodes deep into the synopsis? That's kind of crazy to me, guys. I know it's probably crazy for you too. I know it's definitely crazy for my wife because she hates when I spend hours upon hours recording and editing. So please bear with me as I try and get this recording session and the editing stuff all down to make a nice fluid podcast for you all. Until then, though, I have been Zach. Thank you so much for listening. And I will be your host down the rabbit hole on our very next episode. Goodbye.